Our scripture reading before the sermon comes from the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Let us pray together. God of all mercy, who knows that we justly deserve to be punished for our evil deeds, in your mercy, grant that we may be relieved by the comfort of your grace. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and rules with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, we are reaching the end of our mini-series called Relent, A Time to Give Up. And the goal of this series is and has been to help us give up our sins for the Lord and to give up ourselves to the Lord. We've seen many times throughout this series that God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. But what we're centering on is the purpose for which he chose us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are learning how to live as God's chosen people. And how to become holy and blameless before the face of God. Or to put it in different terms, we are learning what it means to live as the sons and daughters of God in the household of God. We're learning the family rules, the family lifestyle. We're seeing what God our Father wants us to do and how Jesus our brother shows us the way. And how the Holy Spirit actually helps us to carry out the rules of the family. Scripture says that we must be holy for God is holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so in a nutshell, what we're learning here is what holiness looks like in practice. We're learning about sanctification, the pursuit and the practice of becoming set apart for God's purposes and for God's glory and his use. Our sermon text this evening comes from Ephesians 5, 7 through 14, 7 through 14. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from Ephesians 5. 
And I encourage you to open your hearts and open your ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church of the Lord Jesus. The Word of God reads, Do not be partners with the sons of disobedience. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, may be seated. So throughout our service, you, if you're listening, you've heard the language of light and darkness used in the call to worship and some of the prayers in the scripture readings. Light and darkness are a theme. And we see that and hear that again in our sermon text for this evening. Light and darkness are also the themes and the motifs employed by some of our favorite stories in life. Just knowing what I know about most of you, I know that you are familiar with these stories. The Star Wars series makes much of the two sides of the force. There's the dark side and the light side, which they don't call it the light side very often. But mostly by saying dark side, you know, the opposite is the light. In the Lord of the Rings series, a character named Galadriel gives Frodo the light of Erendil, a small crystal bottle of water from her fountain. And she prays that it will be a light for him in dark places when all other lights go out. And then one of my favorite proverbs, if you will, comes from a great wizard in the Harry Potter series when Albus Dumbledore says, Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. So this darkness and light motif is found in various religions, various philosophies, various stories throughout the world. But it's as old as creation itself. As we heard in our reading from Genesis 1, it was God who created the light and separated light from darkness and established those categories for us. Since all truth is God's truth, we can see in all of these philosophies and religions a kind of common grace at work in those places. We can say they might be on to something. They might be on to something. They're sort of pointed in the right direction, even if they haven't quite sorted out all the details. So we can... We can look for the good and praise it, right? They're kind of pointed in the right direction. But we see Paul doing something here very helpful for us. He's looking at a situation in the city of Ephesus where this church was established. And he was a pastor of that church. And he's writing a letter to them because he knows that there is conflict in the city between light and darkness. 
Everyone in the city seems to know about this conflict, about light and darkness, about good and evil. But not everyone understood which was which. Sometimes they got confused in their hearts and minds. And so here it is with the help of the Holy Spirit that St. Paul gets up close and personal with the church. And he talks about darkness and light in very specific and concrete terms. Not in the abstract that's out there somewhere, but he's talking about things that are happening in here, among us, in our hearts and in our lives. He says to the church, keep in mind, he's speaking to the church. He says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And I love this about Paul because so many preachers in the 21st century want to talk about what's happening out there and what those people are like and try to set up that contrast. But Paul said, no, no, no. We have to remember where we came from, what we were doing and what God has done in us to make us who we are now. So he doesn't say, hey, look at the culture around you and find out the problem. He says, hey, at one time you were darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. If we had studied the whole book together, we would know that in Ephesians 2, Paul describes for us what darkness looks like. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, he says, At one time you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's up close and personal. He's kind of getting up in our lives, getting in our grill, as they used to say. He's showing us that this is what darkness looks like and what it feels like. And this is what life outside of Christ looks and feels like. But he's very quick to say that was then. This is now. Right. Clear distinction. That was then. This is now. You are light in the Lord. And if you could go back to Ephesians 2, for example, you would hear Paul saying these things. But God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the accent, the emphasis in Paul is you were darkness, but now you're light and you're wondering, how did we get from darkness to light? And Paul says, it's all of grace. It's all of God's work and for God's glory. God is the one who makes a difference for you. And it's not some abstract imaginary God somewhere, but it's God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit working in and through Jesus Christ for you. This is what it looks like and feels like to have life in Christ. And so we're called as people who are in Christ to walk as children of light 
in the good works that God our Father has prepared for us before he adopted us into his family. He had some things in mind for us to do. These are more than household chores, by the way. These are good works that establish patterns and habits and a lifestyle for the people of God. And so Paul's point here is that we are called to a new life in Christ, a new lifestyle in Christ. And we must walk the walk and talk the talk in a way that marks a clear distinction between God's church family and the rest of the world. This is what he's been trying to do in this letter. So positively, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. This is what Paul says earlier in the letter. And he describes it this way. This new way of life comes with a new set of attitudes. Very difficult to cultivate these attitudes, but these are the ones. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so these are positive things that we're called to do to cultivate. But there are negatively, negatively, there are things we're called to not do. Uh, We are called to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Remember when we touched on that passage some time ago, we weren't saying that if you're a non-Christian, then you don't know anything. We say, no, there are some non-Christians who are, in fact, genius level human beings. But in terms of their knowledge of God, there's ignorance. In terms of their sensitivity to the grace and mercy of God, there's a hardness of heart here. So Paul is establishing this distinction here. What he's calling us to do as children of light is to unblur the blurred lines that are so prevalent around us. Now. Not all of you were around back in the 80s. At least you weren't old enough, perhaps, to know what I'm about to tell you. So just take my word for it. It was a really cool time. And back in the 80s, there was this rock and roll band called Aerosmith. And then there was this this, uh, rap group. Maybe they would call it hip-hop today. But this rap group called Run DMC. And what they did is they took an Aerosmith song and they stylized it according to Run DMC and they put this fusion of rock and roll and rap together. And when that happened, we were all losing our minds. We couldn't believe you could take two distinct genre of music and fuse them together and then come out with this new thing. Okay. But the message was still the same. We were called to walk this way, walk this way, right? Walk this way, talk this way. And we thought that was the coolest thing ever. Well, I want to suggest to you that what Paul is doing here is he's taking a lot of things and fusing them together. He's saying to us, we need to walk in a new way of life, not in a Jewish way of life, not in a Gentile way of life, but in this third way, the in Christ way of life. We need to walk this way. We need to talk this way. Jesus Christ is the one who establishes the standards and the patterns by which we want to live our life. And then he describes it this way, tells us why. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. We heard this 
language earlier in the series when we learned that the good, the right, and the true are not abstract principles, but concrete virtues that are embodied in Jesus Christ. In other words, these things describe who Jesus is, and we're called to walk in his steps and follow him. Okay, so I want to pause here and try to tie all these loose threads together for a moment. I'm going to pause for a moment and try to tie these things together. Here's what we're called to do. We're children, we're children of God. We're called children of light. And we're called to walk as children of light. And to make sure that we don't get lost and never, never land somewhere. What Paul is getting at is this. We are called to walk in the Spirit. To walk with the Spirit. According to the Spirit. And to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life. This is what it means to walk as children of light. The word walk, by the way, in the Greek language has to do with a person's lifestyle. So if you were if you looked at the Greek, it would have this this idea of walking around something like walking around. Paul is saying walk around as children of light. What does that mean? It means you're going to walk around as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are trying to imitate Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the light that shines in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the light that scatters the darkness in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. To walk as children of light, to walk as sons and daughters of the Father and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ means that we're going to walk as a people who have been illuminated by the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. The Holy Spirit isn't going to make you know mathematics. He's not going to help you understand history. He's not going to make you understand science any better. His purpose is to help you understand the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. Earlier, Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. And I've echoed that prayer many times. And by this time in the letter, after Paul has prayed that and I've prayed and, and you've prayed, we want to be able to say the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit so that we now know the hope to which God has called us. We now know the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And we now know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are things we couldn't know in and of ourselves, alone by ourselves. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God and through the witness of the church that we come to know these things. And when we know these things, it helps us in our walk as children of light. Paul says something interesting here, hard on the heels of that. He says, if you're reading the ESV, it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see that? Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Your children of the father and most children want to please their father in some way. They want to make sure daddy is happy with them. They want to do things to make daddy happy. And it's no different in the family of God. The children of God want to do what is pleasing uh, to their father. But I have a bone to pick, as I often do here with the ESV. I have a bone to pick with them because notice that the ESV goes all Luke Skywalker on us by adding this phrase, try to. 
But the Apostle Paul goes full on Master Yoda when he says, no, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. There is no try in the Greek text. So scratch that out and just know that what Paul is saying is discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Use your critical thinking skills to find out what is pleasing to the Lord and do those things. This does not mean that you get to use your imagination and kind of make it up as you go along or fake it till you figure it out. No, you don't get to decide whatever you think is pleasing to the Lord and do that. That's not Paul's point. His point is that you get to use God's revelation. You get to use the word of God and the spirit of God to find out from the word of God and the spirit of God what God says is pleasing to him. And then you do that thing. So the spirit and the word of God tell us what pleases God. We don't have to make it up. In fact, if we make it up, we might miss the mark. And so we want to find out from God's word what pleases him. And here are a few things that I'm taking from different parts of God's word. And then I'll show you a specific thing found in our text. But some things that God says explicitly in his word that please him are things like this. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That pleases the father. That pleases the father. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But when you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Oh, that pleases him so much. Here's what else pleases him. Doing justice. Loving kindness. Walking humbly with your God. Those very simple, basic things are things that please the Lord. He doesn't say in here, if you want to please me, you've got to leap over tall buildings with a single bound. You've got to outrun bullets and stop trains. You've got to do uh, go give your life and sacrifice as a missionary. That's not what he says. He's talking about doing these ordinary Christian things, things that you can do in the comfort of your own home. Things that you can do in your neighborhood, in your family, things you do at work. You can do all of this. You can trust Christ. You can do justice. You can love kindness. You can walk humbly with your God and God will be pleased with you. Isn't that a relief? Isn't it a relief to know that his yoke is easy? His burden is light. This is what it takes to please God. Faith, hope and love. Well, doing those things requires some degree of discretion and discernment as we apply the doctrines of our holy faith. And we'll talk more about that next week. But for now, what I want you to see that this is simply a matter of applying wisdom by thinking through and feeling out and weighing in on the issues of life. In this context, children of light are told to do what pleases the Lord. And the very next phrase gives us one specific thing we can do. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is a way to do what pleases the Lord. You're going to use discernment and wisdom as you approach life. You're going to make decisions about a wide range of things. And here the father says to his children, don't get involved in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't don't dabble in that. Don't play around with it. Don't don't foster it. Don't get involved in that stuff. Rather expose them. 
And we might say, well, what are the unfruitful works of darkness? And then our curiosities go crazy. But Paul says it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And we know that there are many things in life that are obscene, meaning they're off stage and things that should not be spoken of and brought to the public light. They're all over the place. So we want to be very careful to not dabble in that and and try to discover things that are hidden and secret in terms of darkness. But Paul is aware that we know about different kinds of darkness that are at work in our life. And so twice in this passage, he talks about exposing these things by the light, exposing these things, bringing them to the light. As I understand Paul's teaching here, there are two ways to approach this. There's the the missional way where you might think of the church as going out into the culture and exposing the darkness in the culture. Okay, that's a legitimate application of this. But then there's this other application where we are told to look at the church and look at our own lives and expose the darkness within us, the darkness among us, to bring that out to light, to unveil those secrets and things that we've hidden from each other and from the Lord. Now, the Greek word for this, for expose, does mean to uncover or bring out into the open. And if we just leave it there, uh, that could put us into some very scary places, right? But the Greek word also conveys to us, it's built into it, the reason why we must expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And notice, it is not, it is not to shame ourselves. It is not to shame anyone else. Rather, it is to convict the sin and to correct the son or the daughter who has committed the sin. Same thing you do in your own Lives with your own children. When someone does something in the house, you want to know who did what, why did they do it? And the goal there is not to shame that child. The goal is not to hold that child out as an example for all to see. But the goal is to find out what went wrong and what you can do to restore that child and help that child do the right thing next time. This is what Paul is getting at when he uses the word expose. The word expose is very strong in in our English ears. But what he's saying is, look, we've got to find a way to figure out what the problem is and fix it. Exposing the unfruitful works of darkness is simply like this. It's acknowledging a problem and then working towards a solution. That's what's involved here. Uh, It's like discovering the cause of a disease and then prescribing a remedy for it. That's what's going on. This has been a terrible season for sickness in our congregation. Many of our families have been sick and many of you and your families have have experienced the flu this year. It does no good when you have the flu to pretend that you don't have the flu. When you're suffering with the flu, you might want to die on one hand, but on the other hand, you really don't want to die. What you really hope is that someone will come with a remedy that will preserve your life and help you escape what feels like death to you. That's what's behind this idea of of exposing things. We're not just trying to expose it to put people on spectacle or make examples of them. That's not what is involved here. What's involved is saying, look, we're a community. We're a family. And some of us are still harboring these secret sins. And some of us still have these uh, weaknesses involved. We've got we to take care of that. 
Not so that everyone can see what's going on, but so that the person who's involved will recognize, yes, this is something that's killing me. But there's a remedy for it. And the remedy is always the good news of Jesus Christ. It's always the gospel of God's grace. That is the remedy. Now, the clear thing here that I want you to see is we can't do this on our own. We need help. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. I can't fix you. You can't fix me. Right? Isn't that a relief? Now we look around and say, well, who's going to help us? I mean, we're helpless here, right? No, we have help. And the help comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who, as we have learned, has sealed us and secured us for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit isn't coming just to get us in trouble. The Holy Spirit is coming to help us, to counsel us, to comfort us, to show us the way to live. The Spirit comes and searches our hearts as light scatters darkness. From time to time, as we work through our liturgy, we come across Psalm 139. And it wasn't long ago that I preached from Psalm 139. And so I want to remind you of that, just bring an echo of that into this sermon. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says some things that are helpful to us here. Like the psalmist who prayed and confessed that we cannot escape from the presence of the Spirit. We cannot hide from the Spirit. There's nowhere we can go, no matter how high or low or far away. We cannot get away from the Spirit of God that terrifies some people, yet it comforts others. And and the psalmist says this, and I want to echo it now. If we say... Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. And like the psalmist, we want the spirit whom we cannot escape. We want the spirit to come and expose our sin so that he can also expel that sin from us. And so we pray with the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, we're not simply asking the spirit to show us what's wrong with us and where we're broken. We're also asking him to heal us, to fix us, to mend us. Don't just show us where we went wrong. Show us the right way to live and where to go. And so in context of our sermon text, the spirit is the light that shines in darkness. He helps us sort through the clutter and get rid of the trash and clean up the room of our heart, as it were. The spirit helps us to see that some things need to be put back in order. Some things need to be thrown out. Some things need to be carried off to the dump. Some things need to be burned up in a bonfire, right? Just get rid of them. This is how the Spirit helps us. We all have these old habits. We have old hobbies that we have smuggled in from our old way of life. We've picked them up from the sons of disobedience in our neighborhoods. We've borrowed them from the children of wrath at our workplaces We smuggle these things in and the spirit comes into our rooms for inspection and says, wait, wait, what are you doing with this stuff? Where does this come from? Get rid of this. Clean up your room. Let me help you. And so he does. These things may be a false way of thinking. They might be 
deep-seated anger and rage. They might be malice. They might come in the form of foul language. It could be crude joking. It might be laziness. It could be lust. But as the Spirit comes and shines the light of the gospel into our darkness, He convicts us of our sin and corrects us. He changes us, body and soul, and conforms us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. And so as children of light, we are called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this grace of sanctification. This is how we become holy and blameless before the face of our Father. Uh, One of my professors has written a book called Devoted to God. If I could make it required reading for everyone here, I would, but I don't have that kind of authority. So I just want to strongly recommend this book to you, Devoted to God. Here's something he says in his book related to the work of the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit will deliver you from a lifestyle in which you find yourself constantly coming under the condemnation of the law. We learn to put out of our lives everything that is not in keeping with the family lifestyle. We avoid anything that would bring shame on the family name. Our father's smile has come to mean everything to us. His frown would be our greatest loss. This is what stimulates obedience and holiness. Now, the line in that that gripped me as I read it this past week was, our father's smile has come to mean everything to us. His frown would be our greatest loss. I know I felt that way as a kid looking at my own dad. Any word of encouragement, any compliment, any smile, anything that made him happy filled me with happiness and joy. But anything I did that turned that frown upside or turned that smile into a frown would grieve me as well. And think about it. Apply to our relationship with the Father. Don't you want to do what pleases the Father? Don't you want to see His smiling face upon you and not to see a frown? Don't you want to see the light of His love shine into your life? The Spirit helps us. He helps us with this because He helps us give up our sins for the Lord and to give up ourselves to the Lord. I want to remind you here that the Lord knows that we are dust. He knows that we are often weak and weary. He knows that we fight rest and yet we often fall asleep. This is our nature. This is how we're frail and broken in this way. Even now, some of us are asleep in the light, like the disciples in the garden. We, our eyes are heavy and, and we're, we're burdened with so many issues in life. What does Jesus say when he looks at his disciples in the garden? He would say the same to us here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And yes, often the flesh is weak. We struggle to do what we ought to do and we get distracted. Sometimes we're just worn out and we, have str- we struggle just to get up and do the basic things. And yet the Spirit comes and He calls us back to life and back to light. When our four children were younger, they had a commute, a, a pretty lengthy commute to school each morning. And we didn't want them to be late, so we wanted them to get up and get around and eat breakfast and get their stuff and get in the car and head across town to their school. We knew they were going to have to fight traffic. We knew they were going to probably argue along the way. It was going to be a stressful, hectic morning. 
And we didn't want to start out every day yelling at the kids, get out of bed! You know, as a, maybe that happens in your house, but we didn't want it to be that way because we knew it was going to be rough. And so more times than not, I would text I would text my kids in the morning before we went up to make sure they were actually up. I would text them this passage that we're about to read. And I would text them these words because I wanted them to wake up and get ready for school. But I also wanted them to begin the day at least with one spark of the gospel of Jesus in their minds. And perhaps it would it would take hold of them and the spirit would use that in some way to, in fact, help them to do the very thing that the spirit comes and calls us to do. And here we are called. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking by the spirit to his church when he says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He knows that we sleep and slumber. He knows that uh, we can be slothful at times. And yet in his tender mercy and grace, he comes to us and he nudges us and says, hey, you got to get up. You got to wake up. You got to come back to life. Okay. You've been in darkness too long. You've been dabbling in darkness too long. Come back to the light. Come back to the light. There's, there's life in the light. And when you come into the light, you are transformed from one degree of glory to another. You're transformed from your old man in Adam to the new man in Christ. And that is the gospel of God's glory revealed to us in the grace of Jesus Christ.